0: This is
1: Red Pop Pod, Red What? Red Pop Red Pod.
0: A podcast. Red Pub Pod from Red Hawk Publications.
2: Red What? Red Pop Pod. Greetings from Red Hawk Publications. My name is Patty Thompson, project coordinator with Red Hawk Publications, and joining me today for this next episode is our trusty publisher, Robert Knipe. Greetings everyone. Our engineer-slash-director of the program, Richard Eller. Hi. And our special guest for today, Dr. Rick VanDette, publisher of Hurdles, Surviving Difficult Times, put out by Red Hawk Publications. Um, I believe that came out in March of 2021. Just a little bit about Red Hawk Publications. We are a division of Catawba Valley Community College located in Hickory, North Carolina. Today's special guest, Dr. Vandette, will be talking to us a little bit about his process of writing hurdles, uh, in addition to things about his life that are important, as well as an upcoming event that will be very special, near and dear to his heart, and helpful to the community dealing with veterans. I'd like to share a little bit about Dr. Rick first. Um, He's been living in Hickory for many years, most recently a retiree from the Hickory Public Schools as superintendent. Um, He spent many years as an educator, lived in Wilkes. He was a DJ. He was in the Vietnam War. Um, Illustrious career and all over the place, but it makes him the man that we adore. Um, Rick, why don't you say hi to us?
3: I just like the we adore part. That's pretty (laughs) good. I I appreciate that. Um, A little bit about me. Um, I moved to North Carolina simply to be a disc jockey, and my goal was to... Worked my way back up to New York, where I'm I'm from originally, and that was 1971. I haven't quite left yet, (laughs) so um, I've made North Carolina my home. Uh, Very glad that I have done so. Got into education following my career in radio. Had a wonderful career teaching and uh, being an administrator at all different levels. Uh, And I look fondly on um, the things I was able to accomplish in education and the people with whom
2: I was connected Uh, And that's kind of what was the impetus for the book. Your particular book is very special to me because when I started working at Red Hawk Publications, yours was the first unsolicited manuscript that came our way, and I got to work on it from inception to delivery, if you will. Um, It was fun. The fact that it was well-written and interesting, and to this day I still think about it, it made an impact on me. So I'm sure it's the same for anyone else who's had a chance to read it, But this is my way of saying thank you. (laughs)
3: Well, I I thank you and Richard and and Robert, uh, great leadership. I had wanted to write something that pretty much captured a lot of the things I said to my students when I was a high school English teacher as a way to um, help my students understand things, plus also not to give up on themselves. I saw a lot of high school students who just didn't believe they could achieve, and i I would share analogies and share stories, and I remembered many of them. I thought, you know, someday I'm going to put those in a book. And when I began doing so, I looked for um, self-publishing opportunities. found they were extremely expensive, but I also remembered uh, having met Richard and uh, Robert many years ago when they did a presentation at a Rotary Club uh, on the Miracle of Hickory. And um, so I just contacted Richard, wanted to know, were y'all publishing books? And he, he said, of course. And one thing led to another, and that's why I got in touch with you, uh, Patty, and, uh, and the rest was history. Uh, I had such tremendous support from Red Hawk Publishing, from Richard, from Robert, and, and from you, Patty, that uh, uh, anybody, anybody in the area who's thinking about writing needs to at least touch base with Red Hawk Publishing to see... Um, how much help and support uh, they they could receive. Did you
0: have any qualms about writing this? Um, Because you're pretty naked
3: in some of these things that you tell. That part came out as I wrote. I hadn't thought much about that part. I just remembered some of the things uh, that are titles in the book, such as The Cake and the Icing and The Pit and the Ladder and Hurdles and stuff of that nature— that I that were stories and analogies I used, but as they began to unfold, I realized that there were things I was going through, um, and that if I could share some of those things, that perhaps a reader might find some solace uh, if he or she has gone through the same thing that my wife and I've gone through, having lost a child, uh, and some of the other hurdles that get in people's ways. I just I've always believed that. Um, You can accomplish what you set out to do as long as you have the strength and the support to overcome the obstacles that get in the way. And I wanted to to present that in an easy reading style. It's not, as I say in the introduction, it is not a scholarly treatise at all. Uh, But I think it's common sense that people probably haven't thought about. Um, Other things I mentioned, such as uh, quoting The Wizard of Oz and the fact that uh, the the characters in The Wizard of Oz had within them all along what they needed uh, to to accomplish their their goals. And um, that's not unique for me. I didn't make that up. I read that someplace else uh, many years ago. But I thought it's a good place for it. Um, So things that I've heard from other folks, I try to incorporate. But again, just to get people to believe in themselves. It hurts. It hurts to see people who give up on themselves. And uh, having experienced that in my own family, uh, but see that as a teacher when you see a 16, 17-year-old kid who just doesn't believe he or she can make it because of life's circumstances. That um, when I began to write and began to realize that I had to tell my story, too, it was natural. It didn't really bother me when I was doing the writing. You know, one of the things that struck me about this
1: book that I really enjoy about it is how you mix religiosity with rationality, your your suggestions and your direction is very rational. It's almost like you're allowed to have your emotional moments, you're allowed to feel, but there must be a time when you must shift into rational thinking to be able to see like, okay, this is a hurdle and I've got to get over it, but I'm not going to get over it if I lose faith in myself, if I lose faith in life. Where did that rationality and that idea for that come from? Is that something that you've nurtured in your life? Because most human
3: beings' default is emotionalism. Yeah, that's a good question, Robert. Um, and the, the faith aspect has evolved over time. I I grew up, I I, I tell folks that I'm a recovering Catholic. I was, I I went to Catholic school, got tremendous education in a Catholic school, um, but Catholicism was very, very strict, and uh, at least the schools were, and the nuns were, and and I objected to that strictness, and when we moved uh, to an area where there were no Catholic schools, I went to public school, uh, I, I felt more at home, more relaxed, but I realized I didn't get quite the education that I had gotten uh, and that the early seeds of faith were planted even though I wasn't nurturing those seeds at at the time. And fast forward many years when my wife and I married and we had had our son, uh, we were not going to church. We were not church people at that point. And she said, I'm going to take him to church. He's going to grow up in church. You can come if you want to. And I said, okay. So I, I went, and it was like opening a whole new uh, realm of experiences for me. Um, I, was, I, I caught myself singing hymns and getting emotional about the hymns. They were just, it, was, it took me a while to realize God was talking to me. And he said, this is where you need to be, son. Uh, and I, uh, my wife was Methodist, so I joined the Methodist Church, became very much involved in teaching Sunday school, uh, My wife teaches Bible study classes, but I got involved in the lay speaker program through the Methodist Church, so I actually did preaching in small Methodist churches in a couple county area for about 10 years, and the more I preached, the more I read, the more I realized just how how important my faith was. I I list some examples in the book that I won't go through right now, but uh, those examples are actual experiences where I know that God touched my life, and God was there for me, and than going through the tragedy we went through, I don't know how people could go through something like that without a strong faith. Uh, that faith got us through, and it's something I rely on all, all the time. I do get emotional, but there's no question about it, and I could get irrational sometimes, too. <laughs> but um, I'm grounded in, in my faith, and that has gotten me, me through an awful lot, lot of things. And I, I quote some uh, aspects of, of Scripture in, in the book. Uh, simply as a way for people to understand there are so many resources out there, so many ways to help you over hurdles. Uh, and that faith is, to me, one, one of the strongest, one of the best. What is really marvelous about that is is the fact
1: that you don't look to God to do everything for you. And you you advise the reader that once you've been given the message or once you've been reminded of what you need to do, it is your responsibility to then do it. You don't wait for someone else to do it, or you don't wait for the Lord to do it. You have to do it. And I think that's, a, that's part of what I was talking about when it comes to the rationalism. It's like when somebody sends you, send you a boat to get you off the roof of your house, which is flooding, you're supposed to take the boat, not wait for God to pick you up off of there. And I think that's part of uh, what attracted me to this book.
3: Well, thank you, Robert. And and, and I agree with you. The, um uh, God provides, but it's not like, um, I liken it to, supposing there's a tree in the middle of a field, and this tree sustains mankind, and all we got to do is just pull from the tree and eat whatever that tree has, that fruit, and, and we're okay. The issue, though, is you can't stand under the tree wait for God to put the apple in your hand. you got to go get it. It's there for you, but you have to make an effort. And that's what life is about, making the effort, but knowing that God is sort of a safety net. I mean, he's there. He provides, but he's not going to open our hands and put the apple in our hands or the fruit or the sustenance, whatever it might be, uh, and then uh, force it into our mouths. He's going to give us the opportunity. It's up to us then to take advantage of the opportunity, realizing there could be hurdles in the way, but still... It's there for us. We just have to have the, the, the fortitude and the, and the belief in ourselves that we can accomplish. I guess that's part of that free will thing within Christianity mm-hmm.
0: that you make the choice. But now you're kind of a, a, a vessel because you're a resource for people through this book and through the other work that you've done, especially with veterans,
3: I've worked with veterans now um, for a long time, um, but really actively in Catawba County since probably 2012. About this much, about 10 years, we've involved. I'm involved with the Foothills Veterans Helping Veterans, and we are, as our name implies, we help veterans, and uh, through a number of uh, of ways, with uh, with jobs, uh, education. Um, transportation, trying to find uh, homes for them, and, and so on and so forth. If there's an issue with a veteran, uh, we look at ways ways to help, um, provide counseling. Um, it, we, we meet every Friday morning at the soup kitchen in Hickory, and we meet with a lot of folks who are clients of the soup kitchen, but are also veterans. And they sh- lately have been starting to come to our meetings. COVID really Uh, hurt us as far as our face-to-face contact with needy veterans because we just didn't get face-to-face with anybody for a while and we our meetings were through zoom and so the meetings pretty much were our own folks and uh the people who needed our help had no way of connecting with us but now we're back uh face-to-face and we're finding more and more people coming to our meetings and um To me, as as a veteran myself, uh, it's just unconscionable how we can not support veterans in need. When a person is in a combat uh, zone uh, situation and comes home, it's almost like the bends. You come up too fast out of the water. There's no um, way station. You come from the battle zone to the neighborhood, and that's almost. uh, And we expect the person coming back to act normal, to act the way he or she did before they went into the service. Uh, And what we realize is it's not that easy. Uh, We are trying very hard to connect with the young guys and and women who were uh, in in the Middle East. Because most of the guys and and women in our group are in our 50s, 60s, and 70s, Vietnam-era folks. Uh, and we, we know there's a need for the young folks coming back from the Middle East, uh, and we're trying to do what we can to reach out and connect with them.
0: I think this, isn't this the first book that we had where you've given
3: a portion of the proceeds to a, a charitable organization? Actually, two, right? Uh, actually, two. The, I give to the Hickory Soup Kitchen and to um, Exodus Homes. They've both received $800 so far. Uh, from the sales of the book. and uh, it's, it's, Thank it's, you for that. Well, I, I, listen, I appreciate y'all's efforts for uh, publicizing and, and things, and um, I'd like to keep publicizing more because uh, I want to keep giving to, to, the, to both the organizations.
1: Well, that's what we're here for, and you can go to RedHawkPublications.com, and Rick's book is on there. It's called Hurdles. And uh, you can buy it directly from the publisher, and therefore more money goes to Rick's Charities, than if you bought it from Amazon or one of the other online people, if you buy it direct from RedHawkPublications.com. Patty, I think this is a good time to move into his other project. He's got an idea for the Continuing Echoes. That's correct. We're talking Um, about our veterans.
2: Yeah, and and thank you, Rick, for helping out with our nonprofits in the area that help others. By the way, part of the proceeds that are going to Exodus helped us uh, with Inroads doing a writing project with Exodus, right, Robert? I know you've been working. Yes, with that absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we have some of the former offenders and folks working with their addictions that are working on a writing project, and that really was a uh, direct result from your book. So and you. we've
1: we've been able to utilize Dr. Van Det's uh, uh, example and led other authors to contribute their royalties to other charities in the area, including uh, Safe Harbor. The Food Kitchen in Newton. Newton, yeah, I can't yeah. recall the name of Corner it. Table. Corner yes, Table. Yes, there you go. Tammy thank Wilson.
2: You. Yeah, so again, thank you, because you've helped influence other people and continuing with your generosity. So yeah, that's, that's nice to that's hear. Well, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. In fact, Barbara Weather's book, uh, Legacy of Faith, She ga- she gave the whole book. To safe harbor, she 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 donated it to them as a legacy. So they they're taking a hundred percent of it. So thanks, Rick, for that exemplar because it has led people to
3: help other people. I appreciate. It. Thank Did you me. ever think it would have these kind of tentacles? No, no, I I really didn't. I mean, I didn't know anybody ever would even read it. Um, I just wanted to get some thoughts down that I thought were kind of interesting, and I got great feedback as as we shaped uh, the book as, as we went along. Uh, and I'm proud of it, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, you should I'm, be. I'm just tickled.
2: Yeah. I was never more impressed than when I went to the book signing that was held at Exodus. And many of the board members were there, Dr. Smith. Dr. Kirkman was there. He was a board member. But the, uh, Reverend Long. Cryer. Reverend Longcrier, Long of yes. course. Yes. And if I'm not mistaken, there was someone there that um, bought, bought quite a few books for the residents.
3: Well, actually, they did. Uh, Susan Smith um, Mm -hmm. from Exodus bought books for every resident there. And um, Reverend Longcrier uses the book um, in in teaching uh, because part of the Exodus program requires that if you are a resident there, you have to attend certain classes. uh, it's, It's a tremendous program designed to get people back on their feet. Uh, and again, you just can't say, well, you come out of prison and now you just get into society and you're okay. Uh, there are there are steps and uh, Exodus provides those steps. And it's just, um, uh, it's hard for me to put into words how I feel knowing that the director of the program, uh, Reggie Longcrier, Reverend Longcrier, is actually using the book uh, to help uh, people get back on their feet.
2: Well, he's got a transition program. Seems like we need to replicate that for our veterans. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I'm just that's saying. what we—that's
3: what we struggle yeah. trying to do. Because obviously, he's got an audience. They're residents. They're right there. Yeah. Um, we still struggle to f- find ways to 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 use that. Um, but a lot of veterans have, have purchased a book, and I've given—I've given probably half the books I bought—I've mm-hmm. uh, given away to people that I think. Would benefit from them. And the one thing I have learned is I never, and I tell this to folks, I never ask you whether you've read the book. <laughs> I'll give it to you, but I won't ask you if you've read it. Uh, but I, I get good feedback from it.
2: Well, you know what? Whenever I see a shelf of self help books in a bookstore and they're like, you know, 300, 400 pages, I just like, eh, I'm good. But the one thing about your book, it's concise, it's to the point. Um, you learn something in every single chapter, so it's accessible. And, and for that, I appreciate it. Um, and as Robert mentioned, we do have an upcoming event that will be geared towards our veterans. June 23rd here in Hickory, North Carolina at Catawba Valley Community College will be having a Continuing Echoes workshop. That's a collaboration between the Veterans Treatment Court. Uh, as well as the Foothills Veterans Group that Rick has been referring to. And even Red Hawk will have a a part in that. Can you tell us a little bit about that workshop, Rick?
3: It was designed for people to be able to express themselves uh, and not keep things in. That's where the, the title Continuing Echoes came from. I had an opportunity many, many years ago as an educator. Some honors came my way, so I was given an opportunity to take a week off Uh, and spend it uh, at uh, Western Carolina University to work on a a project. And the project I chose was simply to write about my experiences in Vietnam. And again, this was not a a book designed for uh, a wide audience. This is for me and my family. But it was pretty much to get things out. And I entitled it Continuing Echoes because I, I spent one year in Vietnam. That was it. But the echoes stay with me. You know, anybody who's been in a combat zone, not just Vietnam, but um, when that person comes back home and into society, the things that happened are not automatically forgotten. Sometimes you push them aside, you bury them, you don't think about them. That's what I did. And it wasn't until there was a special on TV called... um, remembering Vietnam or something along that line. And a lot of superstars were there and music and everything, and they were talking. And I remember sitting on the couch watching that and just bawling my eyes out. And I had never thought about Vietnam. I didn't think it was a bad experience for me. I did it. I came home, worked, went to school, and so on and so forth. But I kept a lot of things inside of me and didn't realize I did. Uh, And so that gave me the impetus to think, okay, And a lot of people keep things inside and so I approached writing it from a sensory uh, perspective of the sights, sounds, and smells that I experienced. And one thing led to another. I was able to get things off my chest, so to speak, which uh, I think is a good thing for folks to do. And so if, we're, if we have a, a session here, uh, and veterans, and even non-veterans, uh, who, who come to this and realize that there are things in our past, there are echoes, that stay with us, that it's better not to suppress those echoes, but to go ahead and face them. This is perhaps what will happen that night. Um, I'm glad that you invited the Veterans Treatment Court because this is another uh, resource for veterans who have made mistakes, who are down on their luck, who are in the justice system, to get back on their feet. And it's a a unique program, uh, one of only five in the state, And we're the second biggest one. And I say we because I'm part of it. I'm a mentor in the Veterans Treatment Court. And um, you have to be a veteran to be a mentor. And uh, there are, latest count, 16 veterans, um, two women and 14 men so far. And a third woman is in the process and two other guys. We we have 19 people uh, by next week, uh, more than likely, who will be in it, and only one of the five courts in North Carolina has more. Has, I think Buncombe County has 20, and but they, they pull from six different counties. We pull from Catawba County. That's it. And uh, we've got, uh, there'll be nine, nine, at least, like, I think, 19 folks will be in it. And this is a chance for, for veterans, um, as I said, to get back on their feet, but in a positive way. And I invite you, I invite listeners, to attend a court session just to see what it's like. It is the most positive experience in a courtroom you could ever find. People applaud. The judge leads uh, uh, praise and applauds uh, the the young man for whom I'm a mentor when he reaches certain milestones. For example, he's uh, sober now, clean for about 280 days. And so when the judge announces that, everybody applauds. Uh, you get 50 days straight sober, you get a certificate. Everybody applauds. Uh, and it's just that kind of thing where there's a whole support system of folks. There's, there's a team, and they actually sit in the jury box uh, in, in the courtroom. But this is the, the team of, of people uh, who talk about the cases and who suggest various and sundry things. There are programs they have to go through, um, that uh, they have to attend classes and things of that nature. Um, but if they do what they're supposed to do they'll finish in about a year and a half i think we we're going to hold our first graduation it was scheduled for this november it'll probably be moved to february i think uh and uh we'll have a couple two or three people will graduate from the program their records will be expunged uh and and they're, they're you know they're they have a chance now to uh, to live uh a, a good comfortable life and uh you know free basically And um, you can get into the program if you're a veteran and you've not committed a violent crime, but most any other crimes, um, we it'll run the gamut of folks, and they're giving they're given many chances, and uh, those who take advantage of the chances are succeeding right now. It's like anything else in life; some guys slip. It's like in the ladder. Like I mentioned in, in the book, sometimes you slip a rung as you're trying to get out of out of the hole you're in. Um, but the process is there for you to help get back up rather than get kicked out of the program. Uh, that's why the Veterans Treatment Court is such a positive uh, thing, and you'll hear more about it th- that okay. night.
2: So, uh, And I'm thrilled that Jared Weavers will be there and Michael Cloy. They represent the Veterans Treatment Court. And, of course, Foothills Veterans Helping Veterans will be there, Rick. Will this be an opportunity for you to address anyone who attends the workshop on the resources locally? Of course, okay. yes. And I mean, I, I, we have a
3: I have with me our mission statement, what we do, for Foothills Veterans Living mean, Veterans, who the contact people are, when we meet, the kinds of things we try to do do for people, and the more we we get the word out. When I leave here today, I've uh, I've got a Zoom meeting I'll have to conduct for the veterans. But then then I'm going to our printers to pick up our brochures. We finally, Foothills Veterans Bring Veterans, finally has the brochure. And it's a way to get the word out. We've been in existence for 10 years, and um, a lot of people still haven't heard who we are. Uh, and so anything we can do to get the word out that there is a group in town whose sole purpose is to help veterans. And I, I'm not going to speak disparagingly of the alphabet groups like the— um, like American Legion, VFW, and DAV, all great organizations, uh, but they each have their own little niche, and it's not necessarily designed to pick up somebody who's who's in trouble. That's what we do, awesome. and we want to get that word out.
1: So, basically, in this program, if you are a non-violent offender, you can avoid going into the legal system through this this court, or you. Or you're threatened with the legal system if you don't finish
3: the program. You are in the legal system. Okay. That's how you get started. All right. So supposing somebody got arrested for um, drug possession or drug use of that nature, when he is arrested, he or she is arrested and goes into court, they're asked, are you a veteran? And they say, yes. They say, here's an opportunity for you to think about this. You don't automatically get it. And what they do is they ask you to come to a court session to look and see what it's like. Because almost every time we have a court session, it's every other Thursday at uh, 2 o'clock at the courthouse in Newton, um, that um, and, uh, they, they, they look and they see and they may say, nah, nah, I'll do my time, or this is good. I want to get involved. Then they have to apply. It's not automatic. But 99% of the time, those who apply are accepted in, into the program. Uh, and they have a chance then. gives them an opportunity.
2: And I will say a third aspect of this meeting, which will take place on Thursday, June 23rd at 7 p.m. at Catawba Valley Community College at the Workforce Solutions Center, room 101. By the way, this will be on our website. Brandy, big, um, shiny building, everybody. Yeah, the one over on Startown Road. Yeah. And if you're not from Hickory, North Carolina, um, mm-hmm. look us up on the Internet. Uh, on the, we'll be able to have all the information there. Uh, we're going to be there, Red Hawk Publications. Uh, Robert, what's our what's our skin in the game for this particular presentation? Well, what we hope to do is, is we
1: hope to be able to build a collection of stories from veterans when they talk about their uh, continuing echoes. And this is all veterans from all conflicts, anybody who's been in the military, uh, including military families. You know, people, uh, you know, there's continuing echoes in families who say goodbye to family members for sometimes years at a time. What we hope to do is, is teach people how to write those stories, uh, uh, record those stories to where we can then publish those stories and show folks that there are other folks out there sharing the same trials and tribulations with them. And the idea of the continuing echoes, we hope to be able to talk Dr. Vandette into being an editor-in-chief on this thing uh, to, uh, to help push it through, but that's part of it, is to introduce people to the idea that they are writers, and they have an important story to share, because again, it is like, you know, coming back from a, a, a combat situation is like, you know, coming up too quickly from the deep part of the sea, and it is tough on these kids. I've taught a lot of them. I've taught um, uh, Gulf War veterans. I've taught uh, the Sarajevo veterans when we had the police action over there, and I have taught uh, Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, and all of them all of them, uh, have a haunted aura about them, and try to withhold and tamp down some of these feelings. But it comes out in their essays that they write for classes. I've just been astounded at some of the stories that some of these kids tell. Stories of coming home and having the family dog being afraid of them, and then telling me the dog knew I had killed. So the dog was afraid of me and would not come to me. My family jumped me, hugged me, loved me, but the dog that I had known since I was a kid ran with its tail between its legs to the back of the house. And Mr. Knipe, that's because I think he knows that I've killed other people. And that's a kid trying to come to terms with something that, you know, I'm not an expert enough to be able to help him. I understand that that's not true. Uh, but this project, hopefully... We'll need people to come to terms with those feelings, put them into words, and then we can package them and share them with other people and make this an event that we can we can replicate a volume one, a volume two, a volume three, because it looks like to me that we're never going to get out of war. We're never going to stop.
2: I will say that there's an English uh, instructor at Catawba Valley Community College and somehow an essay, one of her students, a veteran, uh, I believe in Afghanistan, That essay is on my desk, and I haven't really – I read it every once in a while. i got to get it back to you, Robert. But it's so compelling. I actually want to get in touch with the instructor because it's it's just heartbreaking but very authentic. We believe here at Red Hawk Publications that writing is cathartic. It is healing. It is. And so that's, again – what Robert will bring to the conversation, and hopefully there'll be some takers that will want to participate in a workshop. So we're, we're optimistic that that could work out.
1: That young man whose name escapes me, he is supposed to come to the thing in, in June, uh, and his instructor was uh, Miss Belaine Hill, who uh, sent that essay to us, and uh, I was floored by that essay, how just that young man wrote, and he, he says, I'm not a writer, I don't even know what I'm doing. I said, but you know what? Your feelings are on this paper. Uh, as As Richard said a while ago, nakedness on the page is often easier to do than it is even to converse and let yourself be open. This kid opened up on that on that page, and he is supposed to be there. He has contacted me a couple of times, so we'll we'll be able to meet him.
0: You said that that um, you're writing. And, and exposing yourself like that, the need to get it down on paper outweighed anything else you'd feel
3: about that, right? That's correct. Yeah, it, it, it was important, but can—well, I liken it to outlets, and I, I used the analogy in the book of the tea kettle of, you know, what happens when a tea kettle begins to boil. And um, I would ask my students what happens, and they, they would say, well, it whistles. I said, okay, well, what's causing the whistle and finally, I would get them to say it is letting off steam. What would happen to the tea kettle if it could not let off steam? We all know it, it would explode. Well, are human beings any different? Uh, we have mental institutions full of people who didn't have an outlet, who, who just sort of exploded within. And um, writing, you say, it's cathartic. Of course it is. Um, it's, a, it, it's a way to get the emotions out. Um, That's why a lot of people keep journals. Uh, They may never show the journal to anybody, but it's a good way to get get things out. Uh, Whatever the outlet is, is important to keep people from keeping things inside and letting them them fester. And I I think writing is just a a beautiful way to to express oneself and to get things off one's chest.
1: And another aspect is, is you do not have to be a perfect writer. You do not have to be Leo Tolstoy or any perfect writer. That's what editing is for. That's what revision is for. And moreover, it's not just writing. It's art. It could be illustration. It could be any kind of art that you are putting those feelings into and you're, you know, thinking through things while you're doing things. You know, I've had some of my best thoughts when I'm mowing grass, you know, because you're just doing something that you love to do and art writing, these things can help you work through those feelings. So even if you're an artist of other means other than writing, you know, we can take still pictures of pottery, we can publish uh, photography, we can publish illustrations. Uh, So it's not just writing, and you don't have to be perfect at it. We will help you um, along that path of making yourself be understood.
0: And have you noticed, I mean, it's interesting, the, the two organizations that you work with, similarities
3: between those populations? Oh, very much so. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, uh, and to oversimplify is that there's a, there's a need. There's an individual need and there's a, there's a group need. And the needs may vary, but um, I, I work with homeless people. I uh, work with uh, veterans who are needy and homeless. I uh, work through Exodus where, where people have come from prison, basically, uh, and, and again, um, they need the skills. They, they need the, the coping skills, and there's so much need out there that um, you know, if God has given me and the people with whom I work the talent and the ability to be able to reach out and help somebody, and that's what we're supposed to do, uh, I can remember... I used to work at Muscular Dystrophy Camp, and there was a little 12-year-old girl who had never walked in her life. And I remember her telling me one day, she said, you know, there are two kinds of people in the world. I said, oh, really? She said, yes, those who can walk and those who can't walk, and those who can help those who can't. And I thought, wow, from from the mouth of a 12-year-old who sees the fact that there are people who can help, and that's what they should do. Mm. They should help those who who, who can't help themselves. Uh, To me, it's real simple.
2: I'll tell you, well, on that note, we look forward to having you back, Rick, at some point. Um, It'll be the continuation of the Continuing Echoes, um, hopefully in the coming year or so. Um, I'd like to thank Rick Van Det for coming to our studios today. And again, we are Red Hawk Publications now coming to you through many platforms. Uh, We are collaborating with The Mesh. And as a result, our episodes will now be streaming on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, soon-to-be Google. And, of course, still on our Facebook page, you'll be able to access our link to our YouTube. So, again, lots of opportunities to catch up with our previous episodes as well as those to come. I am Patty, and I'm signing off, guys.
1: This is Robert, and thank you for listening to Red Pub Pod. Yes,
0: can you say that three times fast? Red, red pub, pub Pod.
2: Red Pub Pod.
1: Thank
3: you all very you much. You have
2: to say it, too.
3: <laughs> say it? Yes. Red what? <laughs> red Pub Pod. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I just echo whatever Robert uh, said. <laughs> red, <laughs> red Pub Pod. <laughs> I was gonna say, and
0: you're a disc jockey. You can say anything three times
3: fast. Uh, toy boat. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everybody. Red Pub
0: Pod. Red Pub Pod. Red what? <laughs> A podcast. Red Pump Pod. From Red Hot Publications.
3: I just echo whatever Robert says. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>